Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Bareback Facts. This is Big D coming at you with the Bareback Facts history. And today we're going to be talking about Wicca and neo-paganism and what these terms mean. We'll be talking about witchcraft as far as the concept goes in relation to uh, this religious ideology. Remember, our call-in number is 718-508-9883. Call in. Feel free to call in and ask questions. Let's try to keep things clean. Let's try to keep things related to what we're talking about. And let's get started. Got a great show coming at you today. All right, first off, I want to start by defining this concept of paganism. Uh, without this concept defined, it'll be very, diff- very difficult for us to move forward. So let's go ahead and do that. Paganism itself derives from the Latin word paganus, which means originally uh, rustic or rural or of the countryside. Uh, this term later comes to mean with the advent of Christianity and the and the advent of Judaism and their spread into southern Europe and eastern Europe in the period we call antiquity, uh, later came to mean non-participant one or one who is excluded for more distinguished professional group, thus private, civilian, as opposed to public, official, or military. Uh, The Latin term paganismus was first used in the 4th century by the early Christian community uh, in reference to populations of the Roman world who worshipped many deities, either because they were increasingly rural and provincial relative to the Christian population, or else because they were not militis Christi, which means the soldiers of Christ. Paganism, the word pagan itself, are considered to be by many to be a derogatory reference to those who do not believe in what we would consider to be quote-unquote mainstream religion. Now, uh, with that being said, this is our groundwork This is where neo-pagan religions trace their lineage or attempt to do so, and this is where Wicca attempts to trace its lineage. Now, as we move forward, it's important now that we look at this concept of neo-paganism. So, how do we define neo-paganism? Neo-paganism is a general term for a variety of related religious movements, which began in the United States and a few other countries, such as Norway and Denmark, Uh, and Sweden in the 60s and 70s, respectively. Uh, They have literary roots going back to the mid-19th century, uh, to mid-19th century Europe, uh, as attempts to revive what their founders thought were the best aspects of ancient pagan ways, uh, blended with modern humanistic, pluralistic, and inclusionary ideals, while consciously striving to eliminate certain elements of traditional Western monotheism, including dualistic thinking and Puritanism. Uh, The distinguishing characteristics of neo-paganism include a perception of divinity as immanent and a a multiplicity of deities of all genders, a commitment to environmental responsibility, and a creative approach to ritual. So we would define neo-paganism as it is an attempt to reclaim what was believed to have been lost, attempts to tap into uh, the beliefs, of the people who came before us, uh, whether they always do it successfully or not, 
uh, is a matter of debate. It depends on what neo-pagan religion you're talking about. And today we are talking specifically about Wicca, and so we will tend we will tend not to venture too far off the beaten path in regards to that. So without further ado, let's get started with Wicca right off the bat. <clears throat> Wicca is also termed as being the as pagan witchcraft. It's a contemporary pagan new religious movement, and it was developed uh, in England during the first half of the 20th century and was introduced to the public in 1954 by a retired British civil servant named Gerald Gardner and 20th century hermetic motifs for its theological structure and ritual practices. Wicca itself has no central authority. Its traditional core beliefs, principles, and practices were originally outlined in the 1940s and the 1950s by Gardner and Doreen Valiente, uh, both in published books as well as in secret written and oral teachings passed along to their initiates. Uh, So one might say that this has a very cult-like feel to it, uh, but if we go back in history, you will find that almost more often than not, many of the major religions in the world start out in such a manner. Uh, Christianity itself starts out as a cult, uh, an underground religious movement, uh, particularly as it pertains to the Western, uh, as it pertains to the Western uh, Christian community uh, of the Roman Empire. So they start out as an underground illegal uh, cult before they gain ground in the empire. So important to remember that the word cult does not always need, need to be uh, associated with negative connotations. Uh, there are many variations on the core structure, and the religion grows and evolves over time. It is divided into a number of diverse lineages, sects, and denominations referred to as traditions, each with its own organi- organizational structure and a level of centralization. Uh, due to the decentralized nature of the religious of this religious ideology, however, there is some disagreement over actual over what actually constitutes Wicca. Some traditions collectively referred to as a British traditional Wicca strictly follow the initiatory lineage of Gardner and consider the term Wicca to apply to only, only to similar traditions, but not to the newer, uh, more eclectic traditions that have developed. Now, Wicca is typically duotheistic, worshiping a goddess and a god, and these are traditionally viewed as the moon goddess and the horn, horn god, respectively. Uh, We'll get into that a little bit more as we move forward. Now, these deities may be regarded in a henotheistic way as having many different divine aspects, which can in turn turn be identified with many diverse pagan deities from different historical reasons. They are sometimes referred to as the great goddess and the great horned god, with the adjective great connotating a deity that contains many other deities within their own nature. Uh, these deities are sometimes viewed as facets of a greater pantheistic divinity, which is regarded as an impersonal force or process rather than a personal deity. Now, while duotheism or bitheism is traditional in Wicca, broader Wiccan beliefs range from polytheism to pantheism uh, or monotheism or even goddess monotheism. So uh, I threw a lot of big terms out at you right there, and I want to go back and take the time to really reel it in and give you guys a little bit more of an idea of what we're talking about when I say all these big terms. Uh, so, 
first off, I want to start. I want to start by defining what duotheistic is. For those of you who don't practice a religion that requires that you worship one, more more than one deity, implies that one worships two deities. Okay. Uh, same thing with bi-theistic, although not really a term that I would really use. I would say uh, dualistic or duotheistic, but uh, you're getting the point. And pantheistic or polytheistic refers to many gods or deities, if you will. Uh, Wiccans, uh, though, tend to, tend to worship uh, many gods in many cases. Uh, they tend to be very pantheistic. Uh, acknowledging the power of a triple goddess, which I am going to break down for you now. Um, now, uh, before we move any further, uh, this is a key facet for many Wiccans right here. This is a very important part of Wicca. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Wicca is seen by many as an attempt to reclaim the feminine aspect of God. For those of you who don't know, uh, about the ancient religions that predate Christianity, uh, there were many gods and goddesses both. Uh, if we take a look at the Greek pantheon alone, there were numerous female goddesses, everyone from Artemis, Athena, Hera, uh, and the list goes on and on and on. We have a large number of female goddesses in Greek mythology. You look at Norse mythology, you have a large number. You have Freya, you have Frigg, you have a large number. Uh, hell, she is also a goddess. You have a large number of female goddesses. The advent of Christianity and Judaism and Islam, uh, which tend to, which tended to steadily push out all these other religions that existed before them, and the regions that they sprung up in, uh, you tended to see that these people would lose uh, out. The idea of the feminine god uh, in Europe with the advent of Christianity, and there is a tremendous pushback uh, within pagan uh, traditions against this idea that there is only one god, or uh, for that matter, that there is not a feminine aspect of God. Now, the triple goddess is an attempt to tap back into this idea of the feminine aspects of the divine. Uh, so if we look at the triple goddess itself, it's an idea that's been adopted by many neo-pagans, not just Wiccans, uh, as one of their primary deities. Uh, and in common neo-pagan usage, the three female figures are, ten are frequently described as the mother, the maiden, and the crone, each of which symbolizes both a separate stage in the female life cycle and the phase of the moon, and often, one, uh, often rules one of the realms of earth, underworld, and the heavens. Now, while these may or may not be perceived as aspects of a greater single deity, which they tend to be uh, all associated as being one uh, trinity, if you will, one, all, all one god, uh, the goddess of Wicca's duotheistic theology is sometimes portrayed as the triple goddess, her masculine consort being the horned god. Now, for those of you who are about to jump down the bandwagon, jump down the you know, pesky rabbit trail of, oh, my God, he said, horn God, so it's got to be the devil. I knew it. I knew my friends were Satan worshipers. Uh, I just want to be really clear that when I refer to the horned God, the horned God within the pagan context is not the devil. Although he was demeaned as such by early Christians, the horned God tends to refer most commonly 
uh, to one of many uh, fertility gods that existed throughout the ancient world. Uh, in the Celtic concept, in the Celtic uh, tradition, we have Cernunos, uh, who is a horned, antlered god who appears uh, with the coming of spring uh, to make the earth fertile again with the help of the goddess. Uh, we also have, of course, the god Pan, uh, who was, again, a god of rebirth and spring and a, a satyr or horned god, uh, you know, a goat man. Uh, so we have uh, throughout, you know, through, over time, we've seen a sort of demonization of these ideas uh, by mainstream religious communities. And this is no, in no, att- no way an attempt to sort of demonize Christianity, but it is an attempt to get you guys to understand that when we look at these other religions, we have to do so without uh, the rose-colored glasses. We have to look at these things uh, and give them their due. It allows you to look past uh, prejudice and not judge people on face value. So now that we have an idea of, of these things, what we need to do now is continue forward into some more of what Wiccans uh, believe and what they practice. So, uh, Wiccans have many holidays. Uh, many of these holidays tend to correspond with uh, earlier holidays that were celebrated amongst pagan communities uh, in the in the in the ancient period. Uh, and these holidays tend to corroborate with phases of the moon. They are known as espots, associated with the goddess. Uh, and they have, other, they have other festivals, which correspond with the cycles of the sun, uh, which are seasonally-based festivals known as Sabbaths. Uh, and for those of you uh, who are really good at picking up on, on words that sound like other words, Sabbath sounds a heck of a lot like Sabbath, and that's by design and intention. Uh, and commonly, uh, Sabbaths are commonly associated with the horn god, while espots are associated with the goddess. Now, there is an unattributed statement that exists within the Wiccan community known as the Wiccan Reed, and is a popular expression of Wiccan morality further down this path that it is not a universally accepted idea by Wiccans. Uh, Wicca often involves the practice of ritual magic, but it is not necessary in every case. So, uh, scholars tend to classify Wicca as a new religious movement, uh, and more specifically as a form of quote-unquote modern paganism, it is cited as the largest, best known, and most influential, as well as the most extensively academically studied form of paganism. Within the movement, it has been identified as sitting on the former end of the eclectic to reconstructionist spectrum. Uh, so several academics have also categorized Wicca as a form of nature religion, which is not necessarily inaccurate because uh, Wiccans tend to revere nature in all its forms. Uh, they tend to have a great deal of reverence for nature and the natural world. Uh, it's a term that is also embraced by many. So it's a term that's embraced by many of the faith practitioners. Many people within the Wiccan faith uh, believe strongly in preserving their environment. They believe very heavily in uh, worshiping, you know, the air, water, everything around them. They believe in the value of nature. Now, uh, given that Wicca also incorporates the practice of magic, 
Uh, many scholars have also referred to it as a magical religion. Uh, Wicca is a form is also a form of Western esotericism, and more specifically, a part of the esoteric current known as occultism. Now, when I say occultism, I know that gets people scared. So, occultism is the study of occult practices, including but not limited to magic, alchemy, extrasensory perception, astrology, spiritualism, religion, and divination. So, it is essentially a study of religion and the components of religion. And it exists within many different uh, philosophies and religions across the world. Uh, so nothing to be scared of, okay? The word occult itself means hidden knowledge. So something to keep in mind. When, we, when you hear the word occult, don't get scared. Uh, it, it's, it's nothing to be intimidated by. Now, although it's recognized as a religion by many acad- by academics, some evangelical Christians have attempted to deny its legal recognition as such, while Wiccan practitioners themselves eschew the term religion, associating the latter purely with organized religion, uh, instead favoring spirituality or way of life. Um, so many, uh, you know, many within the Wiccan community uh, would have problems themselves being defined as a religion, although the problem with not you know, defining your, your beliefs uh, with religion. It is very difficult for you to have, you know, for you to fight for, you know, rights based on your beliefs. It's very difficult for you to do that when you don't have, uh, you know, when you're not willing to sort of quantify it and qualify it as a religion. Uh, it only sort of makes it more, it only sort of makes it easier for organized religious communities with some political power and backing I uh, just say, well, this is just nonsense. You know, they don't—they're not even a religion, so we, they don't need uh, the same rights and acknowledgement as our religion because we're an actual religion. We got rules and whatnot. You know, it's, that's that's how it's done. Uh, so that's sort of a drawback. Of course, the the pot, the you know, sort of a benefit of not defining uh, your your system of belief as religion uh, is that it makes it a little bit more difficult. Uh, it, it makes it a little bit more difficult for people to sort of put you in a box, but it also makes it it also makes it a little bit more easy and accessible for those who are trying to break into the tradition. So there are some benefits to this. Now, Wicca itself is a religion that is distinct from other forms of contemporary paganism, uh, but there has been some. Uh, sort of, you know, some cross-fertilization between these and different pagan faiths. Accordingly, Wicca has both influenced and been influenced by other pagan religions, uh, such as the Satru, uh, thus making clear-cut distinctions between them more difficult for religious studies uh, scholars to make. Uh, a couple couple of terms we need to get into now that we've sort of got a grasp of Wicca uh, to a degree. I want to get, before we step any further into the concepts of Wicca and witchcraft, uh, I want to go ahead and take a couple of terms that are often associated with Wicca uh, and dispel some some myths about them. So, uh, a lot of people use the term wizard or warlock in reference to people in the pagan community. Uh, they tend to refer to people practicing, uh, you know, 
practicing pagans as warlocks because they think, oh, it's a you know he's a ma- you know males as warlocks or wizards. Uh, these terms are actually discouraged within the Wiccan community. Uh, the term witch refers to both a male and female individual within the Wiccan community. Uh, thus, uh, it is a unisex term that refers to any and all people uh, who practice the craft of Wicca. So uh, something to keep in mind when somebody uh, that practices Wicca uh, introduces themselves as a witch, and if they are a man, don't be confused. They are, in fact, a witch. Uh, They define themselves as a witch. Uh, Why do they do this? Uh, Because they are an individual who practices the craft of the wise, uh, as Gerald Gardner, the founder of this sort of religious ideology, would say – they, he refers to Wicca as the craft of the wise. Uh, so, and those who do so, uh, do practice this, are referred to as witches. Now, uh, we get into the association between witchcraft and Wicca. And witchcraft, of course, uh, with, with Hollywood's uh, lovely sort of a, a, a nasty name now. Uh, when, the religion, uh, when, when the religion of Wicca first came to public attention, it was commonly referred to as witchcraft. Uh, when Gerald Gardner, the man regarded as the father of Wicca, referred to it as the craft of the wise, uh, witchcraft, and the witch cult during the 1950s. Uh, so there's no evidence, however, that he ever called it Wicca, although he did refer to the collective community of pagan witches as the Wicca, which one, you know, and as a name for the religion Wicca developed in Britain during the 1960s. Now, it's not known precisely who invented the term Wicca in reference to the religion, although one possibility is that it might have been Gardner's rival, Charles Cardell, who was referring to it as the craft of the Wiccans in 1958. Uh, The first recorded use of the word Wicca appears, however, in 1962, and it has since been popularized to the extent that several British practitioners founded a newsletter called The Wiccan in 1968. Now, although pronounced uh, rather differently, the modern English term Wicca is derived from the old English Wicca or Wiche, uh, the masculine term for wizard or sorcerer, and the feminine term for witch, respectively, that was used in the Anglo-Saxon Anglo-Saxon England. By adopting it for more modern usage, Wiccans were both symbolically cementing their connection to the ancient pre-Christian past and adopting a self-designation that would be less controversial than witchcraft. Uh, So there is a method to the madness here. Uh, Now, in early sources, Wicca referred to the entirety of the religion rather than specific traditions. Uh, In ensuing decades, members of certain traditions then known as traditional Wicca began claiming that they only should be termed Wiccan and that other forms of the religion must not use it. Uh, From the the late 1980s onwards, various books propagating Wicca were published and again used the former broader definition of the word. And by the 1980s, uh, there were two competing definitions of the word Wicca in use among the pagan and esoteric communities, uh, one broad and inclusive, the other one much smaller and exclusionary. Although there are exceptions among scholars of pagan studies, it is the older inclusive use of the term uh, which has gained wider usage, uh, conversely in various forms of popular culture such as television and uh, the word Wicca has television shows, uh, various shows, you know, everything from Charmed, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Supernatural, what have you. Uh, the term, the word Wicca has been used as a synonym for witchcraft more generally, including in non-religious and non-pagan forms. 
Uh, alongside Wicca, two other names are often used for the religion by its practitioners. Uh, these names are uh, witchcraft and beecraft. However, the use of the word witchcraft in this context is problematic because it causes confusion both with the other non-religious forms of witchcraft as well as other religions. Uh, whose practitioners sometimes describe themselves as witches, uh, such as Satanism and Luciferianism, but we'll get into that can of worms another time. Um, another term oftentimes uh, identified with Wicca is pagan witchcraft, although there are many forms of modern paganism, such as types of heathenry, which also practice magic, and thus can be described as pagan witchcraft. Uh, from the 90s onward, various Wiccans began describing themselves as traditional witches, uh, and they put themselves in a bit of a uh, spot with the advent of Luciferianism. Uh, so, let's take a look more at the theology, theological views within Wicca. Uh, so, as you can tell, uh, so far as we've gotten into uh, these different concepts of the triple goddess and the horned god and the worship of various deities, um, Theological views within Wicca are extremely diverse. It often depends on who you ask. Uh, even among theistic Wiccans, there are divergent beliefs, and Wicca includes pantheists, monotheists, again, uh, duotheists, and polytheists. Common to these divergent perspectives, however, is that Wicca's deities are viewed as forms of ancient pre-Christian divinities by its practitioners. Uh, and, you know, it occurs to me that I did not define for you guys what a pantheist is. What is a pantheist? If you're familiar with the term pantheon, you know that a pantheon is, in the context of religion, a collection of gods, very specific gods, right? Uh, we can look at the Norse pantheon, the Hindu pantheon, the... Um, Roman pantheon, the Greek pantheon, this is a collection of culturally specific gods or goddesses, or both. So in Wicca, there are those within Wicca who do worship specific pantheons or gods from multiple pantheons. Um, so important for me to point that out to you guys. Now, most early Wiccan groups adhered to uh, the duotheistic worship of a horned god of fertility and a mother goddess with practitioners typically believing that these had been the ancient deities worshipped by the uh, hunter-gatherers of the old Stone Age. Of course, it's a little difficult to corroborate that, uh, whose veneration had been passed down in secret right to the present. Uh, this theology derived from Margaret Murray's claims about the witch cult she claimed that, recorded the, in the early modern witch trials at veneration venerated a horn god centuries before it and also worshipped a mother goddess. This duotheistic horn god and mother goddess structure was embraced by Gardner, who claimed that it had it had Stone Age roots and remains the underlying theological basis uh, to his tradition. Gardner himself claimed that the names of these deities were to be kept secret within the tradition, although in 1964 they were publicly revealed to be Sernunos and Aradia, uh, Serenunos, we've already kind of talked about. Aradia is a female goddess of the moon. Uh, the secret Gardnerian deity names were subsequently then changed. Now, although different Wiccans attribute different traits to the horn god, he is most often associated with animals in the natural world, uh, but also with the afterlife, and he is furthermore often viewed as an ideal role model for men. On the flip side, we look at the mother goddess. She has been associated with life, fertility, and the springtime, and has been described as an ideal role model for women. Uh, 
Wicca's dual theism has been compared to the Taoist system of yin and yang. As such, they are often interpreted as being embodiments of a life force manifest in nature. Other Wiccans have adopted the original uh, Gardnerian godic structure, but have adopted deity forms other than that of the horn god and the mother goddess. For instance, uh, the god has often been interpreted as the oak king or the holly king, as well as the sun god, uh, the sun lover god and vegetation god. He's also been seen in the roles of the leader of the wild hunt and the lord of death. Uh, which sounds a little spooky, but really it's not all that spooky. Uh, we're really just referring to Pan again. Uh, the goddess is often portrayed as a triple goddess, thereby being a triadic deity comprising a maiden goddess, a mother goddess, and a crone goddess. Uh, oftentimes is associated with the Morrigan, uh, a Celtic goddess who takes the form of three women. Uh, each of whom has different associations, uh, namely virginity, fertility, and wisdom. Uh, other Wiccan conceptualizations have portrayed her as a moon goddess or a menstruating goddess. Gardner himself uh, stated that beyond Wicca's two deities was the supreme deity or prime mover, an entity that was too complex for humans to possibly understand. This belief has been endorsed by other prominent practitioners who have referred to it as the cosmic logos, Supreme Cosmic Power, or Godhead. Gardner envisioned the Supreme Deity as a deist entity who had created the under-gods, among them the god and goddess, uh, but who was not otherwise involved in the world. And alternatively, other Wiccans have interpreted such as an entity as a pantheistic being of whom the god and goddess are facets. Uh, Now, while Gardner himself criticized monotheism, citing the problem of evil, for those of you who are not familiar with the problem of evil, refers to the question of how to reconcile the existence of evil with an omnibenevolent, omniscient, and omnipotent God. Um, so that is what the problem of evil is. And an argument from evil attempts to show that the coexistence of evil and such a God is unlikely or impossible. It attempts to show that the contrary have been traditionally uh, the contrary have been traditionally have traditionally been discussed under the heading of theodicy. Uh, so the problem of evil is often formulated as the logical problem of evil and the evidential problem of evil. The logical form of the argument tries to show a logical impossibility in the coexistence of God and evil, while the evidential form tries to show that given the evil in the world, it is improbable that there is an omnipotent, omniscient, and holy good God if evil can exist. Uh, so that's a little bit of philosophy for you there. Uh, so Gardner criticized monotheism, explicitly uh, monotheistic forms of Wicca developed in the 1960s, uh, when the U.S.-based Church of Wicca developed a theology rooted in the worship of what they described as one deity without gender. In the 1970s, Dianic uh, Wiccan groups developed, which were devoted to a singular monotheistic goddess, and this approach, too, was often criticized by members of British traditional Wiccan groups, who lambasted such goddess monotheism as an inverted imitation of Christian theology. As in other forms of Wicca, some goddess monotheists have expressed the view that the goddess is not an entity with a literal existence, uh, but rather a Jungian archetype. Jung, I don't feel like jumping into it today. Uh, Moving forward. As well as pantheism and duotheism, many Wiccans accept the concept of polytheism, thereby believing that there are many different deities and God, you know, various gods and goddesses. Some accept the view espoused by the occultist Dion Fortune that all gods are one god and all goddesses are one goddess. 
That is to say that the gods and goddesses of all cultures are respectively aspects of one supernal god and goddess. Uh, with, this mind, with this in mind, a Wiccan may regard the Germanic Aostra the, or Ostera, for those of you in favor of the Celtic variety, uh, the Hindu god Kali and the Christian Virgin Mary, each as manifestations of one supreme goddess, and likewise the Celtic Cernunos, the ancient Greek Dionysius, uh, and the Judeo-Christian Yahweh as aspects of a single archetypal god. Uh, so a more strictly polytheistic approach holds that various goddesses and gods must uh, to be separate uh, and distinct entities in their own right. The Wiccan writers uh, Jeanette Farrar and Gavin Bone have postulated that Wicca is becoming more polytheistic as it matures, tending to embrace a more traditionally pagan worldview. Um, such a view, uh, some Wiccans, however, uh, conceive of deities not as literal personalities, but as metaphorical archetypes or thought forms, thereby technically allowing them to be atheists, quote-unquote, although uh, I'm not willing to go that far. Uh, some Wiccans conceive of deities not as literal uh, personalities, uh, so this does make it a little bit more difficult to pin down. Such a view was purported by the high priestess Vivian Crowley herself as a psychologist who considered the Wiccan deities to be uh, archetypes uh, that existed uh, within the subconscious that could be evoked in ritual. It was for this reason that she said that the goddess and God manifest to us in dream and vision. Uh, many Wiccans also adopt more explicitly polytheistic or animistic worldview of the universe as being replete with spirit beings. Uh, in many cases, these spirits are associated with the natural world. For instance, uh, fairies, elementals, um, angels, etc. So, as we move forward, let's take a look specifically at magic. Magic! Many Wiccans believe in magic, a manipulative, and, and they define it as a manipulative force exercised through the practice of witchcraft or sorcery. Uh, many Wiccans agree with the definition of magic offered by ceremonial magicians, such as Aleister Crowley, who de declared that magic was the science and causing change to occur in conformity with will. If we look at Wicca and we look at witchcraft, it's important that we look at this definition, the science part, the science part causing change to occur in conformity with will. Magic in the context of Wicca does not necessarily mean that you're going to change everything in the world through magic. It does not necessarily mean that you're going to literally cast a spell. Uh, if you think about magic in the context of prayer within other religions, the idea of magic is there is thought and there is action and there is a intention behind magic. There is this idea that we have magic, we all have a natural energy within all of us. This is a core concept within magic in Wicca. And when we talk about magic in this context, this idea that we all have this natural energy that exists within us all. We all have this natural potential. We tap into this potential through ritual, through worship, and we, once we've tapped into this potential, we push this energy towards the things in life that we want. We enact change in our world using the potential within ourselves to make that change happen. So it is a thought and action uh, more so than it is just a snap of the fingers and, you know, everything's good. Uh, magic is not, uh, in the Wiccan 
you know, in the context of Wicca and the craft itself, magic is not the Harry Potter variety of magic, a flick, you know, a swish and flick and, uh, you know, I'm levitating feathers and I've changed my, I've changed a cauldron of, you know, oatmeal into a cauldron of beer, which by the way, would be pretty impressive. Uh, so, while other now there are other prominent uh, ceremonial magicians such as McGregor Mathers that stated that magic was the science of the control of the secret forces of nature now many Wiccans believe magic to be a law of nature as yet misunderstood or disregarded by contemporary science and as such they do not view it as being supernatural or but a part of what Leo Martello calls the superpowers that reside in the natural there are many. There are some Wiccans who believe that magic is simply making full use of the five senses in order to achieve surprising results. Whilst other Wiccans do not claim to know how magic works, merely stating uh, and believing that it does because they have observed it to be so. Spell the word magic as M A G I C K, a variation formed by the influential occultist Aleister Crowley. Though this spelling is more commonly associated with Crowley's religion of Dilemma more than more so than with Wicca. Although you'll find in many Wiccan books that they do in fact define, they do in fact spell it in that manner. During ritual practice, which are practices which are often staged in a sacred circle, Wiccans cast spells or workings intended to bring about real changes in the physical world. Common Wiccan spells include those for healing, for protection, fertility, or to banish negative energies from their lives. Many early Wiccans, uh, such as Alexander, Sibelik, and Alex Winfield, referred to their own magic as white magic, which contrasted with black magic, which they associated with evil. Uh, Sanders also used the similar terminology of the left-hand path to describe malevolent magic and right-hand path to describe magic performed with good intentions, terminology that had originated with the occultist Helene, Elena Blavatsky in the 19th century. So... Some modern Wiccans, however, have stopped using the white versus black magic and left versus right-hand paths. Uh, Dick Tomey's arguing, for instance, that the color black should not necessarily have any associations with evil. Um, scholars of religion, uh, such as Rodney Stark, have claimed Wicca had reacted, uh, particularly in claimed in 1985, that Wicca had reacted to secularization by a headlong plunge. Uh, back into magic and that it was reactionary religion which would soon die out. This view was heavily criticized in 1999 by the historian Ronald Hutton, who claimed that the evidence displayed that evidence displayed the very opposite, that a large number of Wiccans were in jobs at the cutting edge of scientific culture such as computer technology uh, and other uh, forms of more advanced work. Uh, such as coding and the like. So, very interesting correlation there. Uh, there exists, important also to note that there exists no dogmatic, moral, or ethical code that is universally followed by Wiccans of all traditions. There is, however, a, a sort of code known as the Wiccan Read uh, that is followed by a majority of people that practice Wicca, which states, and it harm none, do what ye will. So, as long as you're not harming others, you may do what you desire. Uh, this is usually interpreted as a declaration of the freedom to act along with the necessity of taking responsibility for what follows from one's actions and minimizing harm to oneself and others. 
Now, another major common element of Wiccan morality is the law of threefold return. Uh, the threefolds rule holds that whatever benevolent or malevolent actions a person performs will return to that person with triple force or with equal force on each of the three levels of body, mind, and spirit. Uh, this is similar to the Eastern. Uh, this is similar to the uh, Hindu conceptualization of karma. The idea that when we commit actions in life, they have consequences, and these consequences can be either negative or positive based on the actions we commit. A positive action is to generate good uh, karma later in life, uh, or perhaps in your next life. And the you know that's a whole other can of worms. We talk about Hinduism, uh, but. The idea is that by doing good in the world, you will reap back good. By doing bad in the world, then you're only doing yourself harm because the bad is going to come back to you. Uh, now, the Wiccan Reed was most likely introduced into Wicca by Gardner and formalized publicly by uh, Valiente, one of his high priestesses. The threefold law is an interpretation of Wiccan ideas and ritual made by Monique Wilson and further popularized by Raymond Buckland in his books on Wicca. So many Wiccans also seek to cultivate a set of eight virtues mentioned in Doreen Valiente's Charge of the Goddess, uh, one of her books on the topic of Wicca, these being mirth, reverence, honor, humility, strength, and beauty, power, as well as compassion. In, her, in one of her poems, they are ordered in pairs of complementary opposites, reflecting a dualism that is common throughout Wiccan philosophy. Uh, some lineage Wiccans also observe a set of Wiccan laws, commonly called the Crap Laws or Ardanes, uh, 30 of which exist in the Gardnerian tradition and 161 of which are in the Alexandrian tradition. Uh, as the So there, there are some rules depending on who you ask. Let's get into some popular symbolism of, of Wicca. I feel, like we're, I feel like we're doing pretty good, guys. I feel like we're, going, we're, we're, we're making some progress here. Now, a popular symbol within uh, paganism is the pentagram, right, uh, or pentacle. What is a pentacle? What is a pentagram? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, no, it's about to get devil worshipy in here because there's a, there's a pentacle. Oh, no. What's going to happen? Well, it's all going to be okay. When you understand what a pentacle stands for, you won't be scared anymore. Now, the terms pentagram and pentacle are sometimes used rather interchangeably, um, but the most precise meanings for these terms are as follows. The word pentagram itself comes from the Greek penta, which means five, as in pentagon, and gram comes from the Greek verb graphene, to write. Uh, the same ending is found in such words as telegram. Thus, pentagram refers to a five-pointed star or any figure of five lines. It is most often used to refer to a symmetrical five-pointed star with equal sides drawn either with a single line or with two, low, two closely paralleled, uh, parallel space lines. Their overall shape is the, like the decoration uh, on top of many Christmas trees and the stars of the American flag. So there you go. An upright pentagram is a five-pointed star with one point aligned upwards. And an inverted pentagram is a five-pointed star with two points aligned upwards. An upright pentacle is generally defined as an upright pentagram surrounded by a circle, as is shown, uh, as is shown on many people's necklaces that tend to 
uh, people tend to wear these around the neck. Uh, it's tend to be cut or engraved into a flat disc shape. Now, the upright pentacle is a symbol is a symbol that apparently originated as the symbol of a goddess who was worshipped over an area which extends from present-day uh, England to Egypt and beyond. Her name was Kor. She goes by many names. There are names such as Kar, Kara, Karnak, Saris, Kore, Kar, Karnak, um, Ker, Kerma, etc. As Carmenta, uh, she was said to have invented the Roman alphabet and from her alternative Roman name, Saris, uh, has have uh, have evolved many English words such as cardiac, carnal, cereal, corn, corn, kernel, etc. Um, her sacred cora's sacred fruit is the apple. Um, when an apple is cut through its equator, by the way, both halves will reveal a near perfect pentagram shape at its core, with each pointed point on the star containing a seed. Uh, many Wiccans and other neo pagans. Um, and other and some communities such as the Roma continue to cut apples in this way. The Roma Roma referred to the core of an apple as the star of knowledge. By the way, uh, so something uh, to believe, something some some interesting little trivia that goes with this for you. Uh, the Celts believed that the pentacle was the sign of the goddess of the underworld, who they called the Morrigan. Uh, the concept of five points seems to have permeated at least one of the Celtic lands. Ireland had five great roads. Five provinces and five paths of the law. Uh, the fairy folk counted by fives, and the mythological figures wore five-fold cloaks. So five is a, is a fancy number uh, in certain systems of belief, kind of like uh, in the Abrahamic religions. I think comes in threes. Uh, the pentacle and pentagram are the main symbols used by Wiccans and many other neo-pagan groups. The religion of Wicca is based in part on ancient Celtic deities, symbols, and days of celebration. Uh, and they are an earth-centered religion whose days of celebration follow the phases of the moon and the seasons. We've talked about this. What we didn't talk about is that the membership in the U.S. is on the order of around 750,000 to a million individuals. Uh, so it's the so this makes Wicca about the fifth largest organized religion in the United States behind Christianity, Islam, Judaism, and Hinduism. So, uh, you know, Wicca is, has a relatively large following. Now, in Wicca, the pentacle, very spiritual connotations that go along with it. The five points of the star represent something very important. They represent the five elements that make up all existence, all life as we know it. Uh, there are five elements that compose all life uh, within Wicca. These elements are the element of spirit, water, air, fire, and earth. Uh, so fancy that. Uh, so these uh, they're, they're often the five elements are often referred to as air, fire, water, earth, or aether or spirit. Uh, aether itself unites the other four. These are seen as symbolic representations of the phases of matter, and they are the stuff of life. They are the things necessary for life to exist. 
Now, each element uh, within the Gardnerian craft has been associated with a cardinal point on the compass, air with east, water with fire, or fire with the south, water with the west, earth with the north, and the spirit as the center. Uh, there is a reason for this, uh, because the center is defined as the spirit. Why would the center be defined as the spirit? Well, if we look at the concept of a compass, who holds the compass? A person holds the compass, right? Ideally, if you're using a compass to find direction, you're holding it. So you are that element. You are the missing element within these five elements uh, that magic and in this religion requires. Human, the human element, the person uh, within the practice is the fifth element within this, uh, you know. So kind of an interesting way of looking at things if if you uh, tend to look at magic in this way, it makes a little bit more sense, right? Uh, these elements exist uh, independent of our will, and they are the, and if they are the stuff that makes us up, we add that last element uh, for existence. So it's very uh, a very interesting way of viewing the world. Now, we look at uh, some of the ritual practices of uh, the practice of Wicca often involves the ritual practice of magic, ranging from low magic or quote unquote folk magic of shamanism and witchcraft to more elaborate and complex rites influenced by the ceremonial magic of the Western Hermetic tradition. <clears throat> now, there are many, there are many rituals within Wicca that are used when celebrating the Sabbaths, worshiping the deities and working magic. And often these take place on a full moon or in some cases a new moon, which is known as the Espat. Uh, in typical rites, uh, a co- the coven, which is a group of witches or a solitary or solitary assemblies inside a, a solitary is, a, you know, one person on their own practicing by themselves inside a ritually cast and purified magical circle, which is, um, drawn up as these five elements we discussed. Casting the circle may involve the invocation of the guardians of the cardinal points, so the five elements we talked about, alongside their respective classical elements, air, fire, water, and earth, and their respective, respective cardinal directions. Once this circle is cast, a seasonal ritual may be performed. Prayers to the god and goddess are said, and spells are sometimes worked. These may include various forms of raising energy, including uh, raising a quote-unquote, cone of power for the purpose of sending, healing, or other magic to persons outside of the space. Um, So there is a bit of ritual here. We break it down. There is first, this starts with the purification of the sacred space and the participants themselves. So there um, there is an attempt to cleanse oneself before entering what is going to be a holy space in this context. So one might want to bathe before stepping into uh, before stepping into worship, casting uh, the circle, of course, so drawing up their 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 holy space, calling of the element elemental quarters, which we just talked about, uh, this cone of power. Now drawing down the gods, so this is of course invoking the name of one's gods of choice. Uh, the spell casting itself, asking for what you want from these gods, which would be the seventh step. This is the actual uh, ritual itself. Uh, then of course there will be a celebration. Uh, why not? Uh, you want to celebrate uh, when you're with a bunch of people. So you might uh, eat, you might dance, you might play games, you might chant together, you might 
uh, drink and be merry. And then finally, uh, you know, the closing of one's worship service, a farewell to the quarters and participants. So you say goodbye uh, to the gods that you were invoking, the, the power, the energy that you were invoking. And, of course, you say goodbye to the participants of the uh, rite. Uh, so not really all that unlike a church service, right? You go to church, you get cleaned up, you go to church, you get to looking good, right, smelling good, get that smell good, feel good going. You go to church, you say hi to everybody, you sing some songs, you listen to a sermon, you might have something to you, you, you might have something to eat. If your church doing a potluck, right? You say some prayers, you go home. Very not very different from what you might think. Uh, now these rites often include a special set of magical tools. Keep in mind this is not universal. Not every single Wiccan uses these things. Uh, tools include a knife referred to as an athame, a wand a pentacle, and a chalice. Other tools include a broomstick known as a bizom, a cauldron, candles, incense, and a curb blade known as a boline. An altar is usually present in the circle on which ritual tools are placed and representations of the god and goddess may be displayed. Uh, Some people fast before they enter these rituals. Others do not. Uh, Some are known to ritually bathe before doing so. Uh, And again, this goes back to what we talked about uh, you know, the, this goes back to sort of a commonality that we share, uh, that we see within many religions, this idea that before you go uh, into an area where you're talking to the divines, uh, you want to be clean. You want to be presentable, right? You're going to meet a god, so uh, you want to try to impress this god. Of course, uh, we talked about this. They celebrate several uh, seasonal festivals of the year, and these are commonly known as Sabbaths. Uh, collectively, these occasions are termed the Wheel of the Year. Uh, most Wiccans celebrate a set of eight of these Sabbaths. However, other groups uh, only follow four or, or a few other, or some only follow six. It just depends on who you talk to. Different people follow a different amount. Uh, the four Sabbaths that are common to all British-derived groups are the cross-quarter days, sometimes referred to as the Greater Sabbaths. The names of these festivals are in some cases taken from old Irish fire festivals, Though in most traditional Wiccan cupboards, the only commonality with Celtic, the Celtic festival is the name. Uh, Gardner himself made use of the English names of these holidays, stating that the four great Sabbaths are uh, Candlemas, May Eve, Lamas, and Halloween. The equinoxes and solstices are also celebrated. Uh, so uh, when Wicca was first developing in the 30s through the 60s, many of the early groups adopted the commemoration uh, of these four Sabbaths. Uh, these are seen as the four main festivals that had survived Christianization, uh, and, and they were thus uh, celebrated uh, and revived as, as the true holidays of the pagan witchcraft religion. The other four festivals commemorated by many Wiccans are known as Lesser Sabbaths, and they comprise the solstices, and the equinoxes, and were only adopted in 19, by 1958 by members of the by members of a few different covens before subsequently being adopted by other followers of the tradition, and eventually other traditions uh, that that came later, such as Alexandrian Wicca and Dianic and the Dianic tradition. Now, these, the names of these holidays that are commonly used today are often taken from Germanic pagan holidays. However, the festivals are not reconstructive in nature, and nor do they reassemble 
uh, their historical counterparts. Instead, they exhibit a form of universalism or attempt to. Uh, rituals observed may display cultural influence from the holidays from which they take their name, as well as influence from other unrelated cultures. Uh, so let's take a look at some of the Sabbath. Uh, on October 31st, from October 31st to November 1st, we have Samhain, uh, or Halloween. Samhain is, of course, uh, a Celtic holiday. Uh, it is a Gaelic festival marking the end of the harvest season and the beginning of winter, or the darker half of the year. Traditionally, it's celebrated from the 31st of October to November as the Celtic day began and ended at sunset, and this is about halfway between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice. Traditionally, we often refer to it as Halloween. It is the night when uh, the spirits of the dead and that are living, uh, there is a barrier between us that gets thinner, according to those who adhere to uh, the Celtic tradition. Uh, it is a day for reverence to those who have passed. Uh, on this day, uh, people paid their respects to the spirits. And, of course, we get uh, the lovely tradition, uh, the lovely childish tradition of Halloween that comes out of this uh, based on what some of the practices of early, uh, earlier people were doing. They were uh, leaving out treats and gifts for the spirits of the dead. Uh, and, of course, uh, attempting to ward off evil by leaving sort of tribute treats uh, this later, of course, morphs into the trick-or-treating concept, the idea that we'll have people dress up like spooky things to scare away the spooky spirits, and we'll keep them happy by giving them treats, so they'll keep doing it. Uh, then we have Yuletide, uh, which is a festival. It's often referred to as Yule. It's a festival observed by historical uh, Germanic peoples, uh, they have con- scholars have connected the celebration to the wild hunt, uh, the god Odin, and the pagan Anglo-Saxon Modranit. Uh, it later went un- underwent Christian reformula- uh, a reformulation resulting in the term Christmas Tide, and it is celebrated on December 21st uh, from December 21st or or on December 22nd. Uh, it is associated with the winter solstice and the rebirth of the sun. Uh, the more Romanized version of it, uh, the one we are commonly uh, we commonly uh, tend to associate it with, is um, the Roman festival of the sun. Oh, wait a minute, where did it go? Saturnalia. Which is the worship, which of course uh, talks about uh, the alignment of Saturn and of course the god Saturn. It is a festival of the sun that, you know, involved all kinds of fun stuff parties, orgies, drinking, sacrifice, the, you know, the good stuff. The stuff we never do anymore, right? The fun stuff. Uh, Yule is the modern English representation of the word. Uh, of words gil or gihol. Um, so, you know, interesting. Yule is attested in the early, uh, early in the history of the Germanic peoples from the fourth century Gothic language, and it appears in the month name uh, Fruma Julius. And in the eighth century, the English historian Bede wrote that the Anglo Saxon calendar included the months Giola or Yuli. Respond, corresponding with either modern December or December and January. Uh, it's mentioned many times uh, throughout many uh, Nordic epics. It is a time of 
feasting uh, and celebration with with family and friends. Uh, we go down the list here. Uh, we have other holidays such as Imbolc or Candle Mass. This is generally celebrated uh, on the first or second of February, and it celebrates the first signs of spring. <clears throat> It's also called St. Brigid's Day. Fun there for you, to, for, for those of you into Irish history, something fun to look at there. Uh, it was widely observed throughout Ireland and Scotland, as well as the Isle of Man, and is one of the four uh, Gaelic seasonal festivals, along with Beltane, uh, Lunasad, and Samhain, and corresponds to the Welsh Gwilfair e Caliudu. Um, for Christians, especially in Ireland, it is the feast day of St. Brigid. So uh, a a holiday that's got uh, everybody's getting in on this holiday, right? You know, the Christians got a little piece of it, the, the pagans got a little piece of it. Everybody's, you know, listen. If there's one thing I know, it's we all like to eat. All right, I like to eat, uh, and in bulk is a good excuse. Uh, celebrations include feasting, making brigands crosses, uh, visiting holy wells, divination, and spring cleaning. Uh, maybe not the cleaning part. I'll leave that to somebody else. I don't want to do all that. I mean, I will, but I don't want to. Uh, it's mentioned, in bulk itself is mentioned in some of the earliest Irish literature, and there's evidence that it has been an important date since ancient times. It's believed that it was originally a pagan festival associated with the goddess Brigid, and that it was later Christianized as a festival of St. Brigid, who is thought to be a Christianization of this goddess. Uh, Brigid was often associated with water and rebirth, and fitting uh, that the Christians, I suppose, would later... Uh, would later Christian would later create the idea of Saint Brigid, who is patron saint of water and wells. Uh, supposedly, to drink out of a holy well of Saint Brigid was to find uh, not only uh, that your thirst would be quenched, but that you might be healed and the like. So interesting, interesting little parallels there. Uh, Brigid at Imbolc Bridges. Brigid's crosses were made out, made, and a doll-like figure of Brigid called a Brig, Brigidiog would be paraded from house to house. Brigid was said to visit one's home at Imbolc, and to receive her blessings, people would make a bed for Brigid and leave her food and drink, while items of clothing would be left outside for her to bless. Brigid was also invoked to protect homes and livestock, and special feasts were had, holy wells were visited, and there was also a time for divination. So... You know, fun stuff, right? You know, we're getting some of these. You know, some of these holidays—they just—they're just awesome, right? Then we have Ostera. Ostera is held from March 21st to March 22nd. It's been referred to as a Ostra, Ostera, or more commonly known to to a lot of you as Easter. It is the namesake of the festival of Easter in some languages can trace its lineage to uh, both Germanic and Celtic tribes. Uh, Eostra, uh, who, by the way, of the Germanic month bearing her name in Northumbria, Eostronop, is the namesake of the festival Easter in many languages. Eostra is attested solely by Bede in his 8th century work, The Reckoning of Time, where he states that during uh, Eostromenade, uh, the equivalent of April, uh, pagan Anglo-Saxons had held feasts in Eostra's honor, uh, but that this tradition had died out by his time, replaced by the Christian Paschal Month, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. By way of a linguistic reconstruction, the matter of 
a goddess called Austro in the Proto-Germanic language has been examined in detail since the foundation of Germanic philology in the 19th century. And so, um, ah, Alsos or Austro is said to have descended from the common Germanic divinity from, divinity from whom Aostra and Ostera are held to descend. And it is a great time. Um, it's not uncommon during the festival of Aostra to release hairs to, as a symbol of fertility. Uh, it is the vernal equinox in the beginning of spring. It is a celebration of fertility and the rebirth uh, and rekindling of nature after winter. Then we get into Beltane, which is often referred to May e- uh, often uh, referred to as being called May's Eve or May Day. Beltane is the anglicized name for the Gaelic May Day festival. Most commonly, it's held on May for about halfway between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. Uh, it's generally held uh, from April 30th to May 1st. So, you know, a lot of these holidays tend to be held uh, for either a day or a single night or two days. Beltane itself uh, has been historically has been widely observed throughout Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man. In Irish, the name for the festival day is La Bieltine, or in Scottish Gaelic, La Bieltine. Uh, so we, it is one of the four Gaelic seasonal festivals along with Samhain, Imbolc, and again, Lunasad, and is similar to the Welsh uh, Caelan Mai. Beltane is mentioned in some of the earliest Irish literature, and it's associated with important events in Irish mythology. It marked the beginning of summer and was when cattle were driven to, out to the summer pastures. Rituals were performed to protect the cattle, uh, to protect crops and people, and to encourage growth. Special bonfires were kindled, and their flames, smoke, and ashes were deemed to have protective powers. People and their cattle would walk around the bonfire or between two bonfires and sometimes leap over flames or embers. All household fires would be doused and then relit from the Beltane bonfire. These gatherings would be accompanied by a feast, and some of the food and drink would be offered to the, to the fairy folk. Doors, windows, and buyers, and the cattle themselves would be decorated with yellow may flowers. Uh, and in parts of Ireland, people would make a may bush, a thorn bush decorated with flowers, ribbons, and bright shells. Holy wells were also visited, while Beltane dew was thought to bring beauty and maintain youthfulness. Uh, so many of these customs were part of, a, of May Day or Midsummer festivals in other parts of Great Britain and Europe. Uh, Beltane celebrations had largely largely died out by the mid-20th century, although some of its customs continued, and in some places it has now been revived as a cultural event. Uh, Since the late 20th century, Celtic, Neo-Pagans, and Wiccans have observed Beltane or something based on it as a religious holiday. Uh, So it's – and and some some Neo-Pagans in other parts of the world, particularly in the Southern Hemisphere, celebrate Beltane at the end of the year. Uh, around November 1st. So uh, that's Beltane. We're moving forward here. We're really whipping through this here. Uh, We then have the holiday Letha, uh, which is a celebration of the summer solstice. It's thought to be uh, possibly a Neolithic uh, celebration in origin. It's often celebrated 
on June 21st or June 22nd uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. And, of course, in the Southern Hemisphere, celebrated at a different time, uh, December 21st. It's also known as Midsummer or St. John's Day. It's a period of time set upon the summer solstice and more specifically the Northern European celebrations that accompany the actual solstice or take place on a day between uh, the 19th of June and the 25th of June, proceeding evening. Uh, Now, of course, the exact dates vary between different cultures and different parts of the world. Uh, While the Christian church designated June 24th as the feast day of the early Christmas uh, early Christian martyr uh, St. John the Baptist and the observance of St. John's Day begins the evening before, known as St. John's Eve. Uh, this is a celebrate. This is a feast day. It's celebration of the summer harvest and a celebration of life. So good. It's good time. It's good weather. Good weather. Good peeps. Uh, then we have the holiday of Lunasad, also known as Lamas. Uh, not Lamas, but Lamas. I know it sounds silly. Uh, but this is a celebration of the first fruits of the harvest. Uh, it traces its lineage to Gaelic polytheism, uh, polytheistic religious ideologies, uh, and Celtic ideals. Lunasad is a celebration of the harvest. It is a celebration of the harvest god. Uh, it is a Gaelic festival that marked the beginning of harvest season. And it is historically widely observed throughout Ireland, Scotland, and, of course, the Isle of Man. Originally, it was held on the 1st of August, so about halfway through the summer solstice and the autumn equinox. However, over time, the celebration shifted to Sundays nearest to this date. It is one of the four Gaelic seasonal festivals, again, along with the others we've talked about so far. And it corresponds to other European harvest festivals, such as the Welsh Will Awist and, of course, the English Lamas. Uh, Lunasad is mentioned in some of the earliest Irish literature. Uh, it has pagan origins. The festival itself is named after the god Lu, uh, who is a Celtic god of knowledge, wisdom, uh, and technology. Interesting, yeah. It involved great gatherings uh, that, involved, that included religious ceremonies, ritual athletic contests, feasting, matchmaking, and trading. There were visits to holy places, uh, and that there were also... There is significant evidence that shows religious rites included an offering of the first fruits and a feast of the new food and bilberries, the sacrifice of a bull, and a ritual dance play in which Lou seizes the harvest for mankind and defeats the powers of blight. Uh, So much of the activities would have taken place on top of hills and mountains, uh, higher places. Uh, Of course, there there are offerings, feasting, hand fasting, fairs, athletic contests. This is a a very popular tradition. Its customs persisted widely until the 20th century, with the event being variously named Garland Sunday, Bilberry Sunday, Mountain Sunday, and Chrome Dove Sunday. Uh, the custom of climbing hills and mountains at Lunasad has survived in many areas, although it has been recast as a quote-unquote Christian pilgrimage. And the best known is the Reek Sunday pilgrimage uh, to the top of Kurok Patrick in the, uh, on the last Sunday in July. A number of fairs are also believed to be survivals of Lunasad. For example, the Puck Fair. Since the late 20th century, Celtic neo-pagans have observed Lunasad or something based on it as a religious holiday, and in some places, elements of the festival have been revived as a cultural event. Uh, Lunasad is an incredibly popular tradition that's uh, really 
survived really the test of time to some degree in many different forms. So interestingly enough, it is a very, uh, very, very popularized holiday. Uh, and, you know, despite the fact that it's gone by so many names, you have so many different festivals associated with it. This uh, makes for a very fascinating topic of conversation. Of course, now we get to the final, uh, which is called Maybon. It's also known as Modron. Uh, it's in the northern hemisphere of the world. It's often celebrated uh, from September 21st or September 22nd. Uh, in the southern hemisphere, it is celebrated in March 21st. Uh, there is no historical pagan equivalent for it, uh, but is the celebration of the autumnal equinox and the harvest of grain. Uh, Mabin is a prominent figure from the Welsh literature and mythology, is the son of Modron and a member of Arthur's war band. Both he and his mother were likely deities in origin, uh, descending from a divine mother-son pair. Uh, His name is related to the Romano-British god Mapanos, whose name literally means great son. Uh, This... uh, when I say Arthur, I'm referring to the hero, Arthur. Uh, but Mabon, the celebration of Mabon is a celebration of reverence and a forced harvest. Uh, as we move forward, so these are the major Sabbaths. Uh, these are the holidays uh, often celebrated by Wiccans. Um, And so now let's take a look at some of the other uh, traditions that are involved in Wicca. Uh, So we have uh, some very, we have various rites of of, uh, of passage that that exist within Wicca. Um, There is, of course, the initiation ritual and a ritual through which somebody joins the craft and becomes a Wiccan. Um. So generally, you have individuals that initiate another individual into their coven. Uh, they provide them with guidance. They, they give them some sort of, sort of training. And this involves almost sort of a baptismal uh, service uh, in which this person gains sort of this new spiritual identity and experiences a spiritual enlightenment. Uh, we also have uh, the tradition of hand fasting, which is the, a, another tradition held by Wiccans. And is commonly used for uh, used term for their weddings. Uh, Wicc- some Wiccans observe the practice of a trial marriage for a year and a day, which some traditions hold should be contracted on the Sabbath of Lunasad, as this was the traditional time for trial. Um, for trial, tell town marriages among the Irish. A common marriage vow in Wicca is for as long as love lasts, instead of the traditional Christian till death do us part. Uh, the first known Wiccan wedding ceremony took part in uh, took place in 1960 amongst the Bricket Wood Coven between Frederick Lamond and his first wife Gillian. Uh, some Wiccans perform self-initiation rituals to dedicate themselves to becoming a Wiccan. The first of these is, is to be published was in Paul Hudson's uh, Mastering Witchcraft in 1970, an unusually involved recitation of the Lord's Prayer backwards as a symbol of defiance against the historical quote-unquote witch hunt. Subsequent, uh, more overtly pagan self-initiation rituals have since been published in books designed uh, for solitary Wiccans by authors such as Doreen Valiente, uh, Scott Cunningham, and Silver Raven Wolf. Infants and Wiccan families may may be involved in a ritual called Wiccaning, 
which is an an analogous an analogous uh, practice to christening. Uh, the purpose of this is to present the infinite to the god and goddess for protection. Uh, parents are advised to give their children the gift of Wicca in a manner suitable to their age. In accordance with the importance put on free will in Wicca, the child is not expected to nor required to adhere to Wicca or any other forms of paganism should they not wish to do so when they reach adulthood. Uh, another tradition within Wicca is the keeping of a book of shadows. In Wicca, there is no set sacred text such as Christi- the Christian Bible, the Jewish Tanakh, uh, the Hindu Gita or Islamic Quran, although there are certain scriptures and texts that various traditions hold to be important uh, and influence their beliefs and practices. Uh, Gerald Gardner used a book containing many different texts in his own covens, known as the Book of Shadows, among other names, which he would frequently add to and adapt. In his Book of Shadows, there are texts taken from various sources, including uh, the works of Charles Godfrey, uh, Leland, uh, such as Aradia or the Gospel of the Witches in, from 1899, uh, and the works of 19th to 20th century occultist Aleister Crowley, whom Gardner knew personally. Uh, there is also, in his book, uh, examples of poetry largely composed by Gardner and his high priestess, Valiente, the most notable of which, is, of course, is The Charge of the Goddess, which we spoke of. Similar in the use of grimoires or ceremonial of ceremonial magicians, the book contained instructions for how to perform rituals and spells, as well as religious poetry and chants like Echo, Echo, Azarek, used in those rituals. Gardner's original intention was that every copy of the book would be different because a student would copy from their initiators by changing things which they felt to be personally ineffective. However, amongst Gardnerian witches today, particularly in the U.S., all copies of the book are kept identical. Uh, to the version that the high priestess Monique Wilson copied from Gardner with nothing being altered, supposedly. Uh, the Book of Shadows was meant, originally meant to be kept secret from non-initiates, but uh, parts of the book have been published by authors including Charles Cardo, Lady Sheba, uh, Jeanette Farrar, and Stuart Farrar. Uh, so here's some of the traditions. Let's get into some of these traditions. Uh, uh, in the 1950s through the 1970s, uh, when the Wiccan movement was largely confined to the lineage groups such as Gardnerian Wicca and Alexandrian Wicca, a tradition usually implied the transfer of a lineage by initiation. However, with the rise of more and more such groups often being founded by those with no previous initiatory uh, lineage, the term came to be a synonym for a religious denomination within Wicca. There are many such traditions, and there are also many solitary practitioners who do not align themselves with any particular lineage working alone. There are covens who have formed but do not follow any particular tradition, instead choosing their influence and practices eclectically. Uh, those traditions which trace a line of initiatory descent back to Gerald Gardner include Gardnerian Wicca, Alexandrian Wicca, and the Algard tradition. Uh, because of their joint history, they are often referred to as British traditional Wicca, particularly in North America. Other traditions trace their origins to different figures, even if their beliefs and practices have been influenced to a greater or lesser extent by Gardner. These include Cochrane's Craft and the 1734 tradition, both of which trace their origins to uh, Robert Cochrane. Uh, Bury, which traces itself back to Victor Anderson and Gwydion Penderwin, uh, as well as Dianic Wiccan, uh, whose followers often trace their influences back to Zuzana Budapest. Uh, some of these groups prefer, prefer to refer to themselves as witches, thereby distinguishing themselves 
um, from the BTW traditions, uh, who more typically use the term Wiccan. Many traditions, including those of Wiccan, British traditional Wicca, require formal initiation with an established coven for membership of their respective traditions. In this manner, uh, all BTWs can trace a line, a direct line of descent all the way back to Gardner. Other traditions, however, do not hold this to be uh, all that necessary. Wicca has also been customized to the various different national contexts in which it has been introduced. Uh, for instance, in Ireland, the veneration of ancient Irish deities has been incorporated into Wicca. And we talked about this already, but various uh, practitioners of Wicca have their own ideas about which gods and goddesses work for them, who they particularly view as gods that they reference. Uh, so this is a very, this is a religious ideology that has very diverse backgrounds. So let's take a look at some of the more contemporary, uh, you know, influences of Wicca. Wicca emerged in a predominantly Christian country, uh, and from its inception, the religion encountered opposition from certain Christian groups, as well as from the popular tab, as well as from popular tabloids like the News of the World. Some Christians still believe that Wicca is a form of Satanism, although it's important, I think, now as we go forward, that you don't associate or conflate the two. They are quite different from one another. Um, Detractors typically depict Wicca as a form of malevolent Satanism due to negative connotations associated with witchcraft. Many Wiccans continue the traditional practice of secrecy, concealing their faith for fear of persecution. Uh, though revealing oneself as a Wiccan to family and friends or colleagues is often termed coming out of the broom closet in a similar way. Some people have accused Wicca of being anti-Christian, a claim disputed by Wiccans. Uh, whose state, uh, such as Doreen Valiente, who is one of the more outspoken uh, advocates for uh, the religious for uh, Wicca itself. Uh, she stated that whilst uh, she knew many Wiccans who admired Jesus, witches have little respect for the doctrines of the churches, which they regard as a lot of man-made dogma. The religious scho studies scholar Graham Harvey noted that the popular and prevalent media image of Wicca is almost entirely inaccurate. Uh, in the United States, a number of legal decisions have improved and validated this, the status of Wiccans, particularly uh, the Detmer versus Landon case in 1986. However, Wiccans have encountered opposition from some politicians and Christian organizations, including the former president of the United States, George W. Bush, who stated that he did not believe Wicca to be a religion, which is just utter foolishness. Uh, in, the, in 2007, the United added the pentagram to the list of emblems uh, a belief that can be included on government-issued markers, headstones, or plaques honoring deceased veterans. In Canada, Dr. Heather Botting, Lady Aurora, or, and Dr. Gary Botting, uh, known as Pan, the original high priestess and high priest of Coven Celeste and founding elders of the Aquarian Tabernacle Church, successfully campaigned the British Columbian government and federal government in 1995 to allow them to perform recognized Wiccan weddings to become prison and hospital chaplains, and in the case of Heather, to become the first officially recognized Wiccan chaplain in a public university. Uh, I want to take a look at the Detmer versus Landon case. 
Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with it, uh, it's the, it reached the Fourth Circuit in 1986. It's a court case in which the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit held uh, that although Wicca was a religion, it was not a violation uh, of the First Amendment to deny a prisoner access to ritual objects. Uh, one plaintiff, Herbert Daniel Detmer, was a Virginia pre- prisoner and a member of the School of Wicca and desired access to ritual objects, including several varieties of knife with which to practice Wiccan rituals. Knives, of course, are not available to prisoners in uh, jail. When the state would not provide him these ritual objects, he sued uh, the director of the Virginia Department of Corrections, Robert Landon, in federal court to gain access to objects he claimed were necessary for his religious practice. Now, I think we all know that anybody that's in jail, but all right. Uh, In the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia decided in Detmer's favor, finding that Wicca was a religion, rejecting the argument put forward by the Department of Correction that it was merely a conglomeration of occult practices. The decision was appealed to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals and was argued before the appellate court in April of 1986. So very important. So, I mean, there's a a precedent for these things, right? We've We've got some real history here to look at. The Fourth Circuit, in a decision by Senior uh, Circuit Judge John D. Butzner, Jr., affirmed the district court's ruling that Wicca was, in fact, a religion, but they did vacate the injunction, uh, stated that uh, the appellate court considered considered but rejected the claims of the government about Wicca itself, which included that Wicca was a mere conglomeration of various aspects of the occult, such as faith healing, self-hypnosis, tarot card reading, and spellcasting, none of which would be considered religious practices standing alone, and that even if Detmer's beliefs were religious, the rituals were not. The conclusion of the Fourth Circuit was that the district court had found that Detmer had a religious belief entitled to full First Amendment protections. He was not, however entitled to an injunction since the decision to prohibit Detmer from possessing the items that he sought did not discriminate against him because of his unconventional beliefs. So while this case was not entirely a victory for Detmer himself, it was the first time uh, Wicca was recognized by a court of law as a legitimate religion. So uh, very, uh, very interesting court case, to say the least. The fact that uh, Wicca has sort of gained such recognition uh, is rather impressive. Moving forward here, go here. Now, how do we know if someone's Wiccan? This is here. This is another another aspect of this we should probably talk about. Uh, so who is a Wiccan? How do, we, how do we know who they are? Wiccans come from all walks of life. They're doctors, nurses, teachers, soccer moms, writers, firefighters, whatever. They're from, every, they're from all walks of life, they're just like everybody else. In other words, anybody could be a Wiccan, and people become Wiccan for many reasons. A recent study estimated nearly half a million Wiccans uh, reside in the United States today, uh, and Due to recent polling and recent studies, uh, it's said to be closer to actually a million people that are Wiccans and that practice. Uh, so as so as far as that goes, there is a significant population. I mentioned before earlier in this podcast that uh, you know Wicca is the fifth largest religion, uh, really in the United States, fifth largest religion, and uh, it's kind of flying under the radar. 
which I guess to a degree is not really necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, if you're not making headlines uh, and your religion's not making headlines like some of these religions out there, you're probably doing something right. Uh, One thing that I didn't mention is that there is a... So one thing I didn't mention is what Wicca is not. So let's, let's get into that. Wicca itself does not embrace the concepts of sin, heaven, or hell. They don't believe in the evils of sex or nudity. They don't believe in the necessity for confession or salvation. Uh, they do not practice Satan, Satanism or devil worship in any context of that. Uh, they do not. The main reason why they do not practice Satanism is because Satanism is a closer, is closely related to atheism. Uh, and we'll be talking about Satanism on my show very soon, uh, and it'll make sense as to why Wicca and Satanism don't gel. Um, but Wiccans don't worship the devil, mainly because they don't believe in the devil. Uh, they don't believe... Um, in a figure that an archetypal figure that represents all evil because really they don't uh, have a necessity for it. Uh, they don't believe in animal sacrifice and they don't believe in the inferiority of women. Wicca is not a fashion statement and you do not have to dress a certain way to be a real Wiccan. Uh, Wiccans don't believe that you have to look a certain way, be a certain kind of person to be Wiccan. Uh, very accepting community. Uh, so... Here are some more of the basics of Wicca, some more of the basic beliefs that you might find uh, that we haven't really covered. Uh, Most Wiccans believe that the divine is present in nature, and so nature should be honored and respected. We kind of talked about this. Everything from plants, animals, uh, to trees and rocks are elements of the the sacred. Uh, You'll find that many practicing Wiccans are passionate about the environment. Uh, in most paths of Wicca, both a god and a goddess are honored. We talked about that. Uh, the divine is present in all of us as well. We are all sacred beings, and an interaction with the gods is not limited to just the priesthood or a select group of individuals. For many Wiccans, uh, car- car- the idea of karma or in, in the form of the threefold law and the afterlife is a valid one, although the neo-Wiccan view of karma is very different than the traditional Eastern perspective. What we do in this lifetime will be revisited upon us in the next uh, part of this idea of a cosmic payback system, of course, is something I talked about in the law of threefold. Uh, whatever you do, you will get back threefold. So if you do good, you get back threefold good. You do bad, you get back threefold bad. Uh, there is a there is uh, the veneration of ancestors. Uh, Wiccans firmly and loudly believe that ancestors should be spoken of with honor. Uh, it's not considered out of the ordinary to commune with the spirit world. Many Wiccans feel that their ancestors are watching over them at all times, and there is a great reverence for those who have come before them, uh, particularly family members, especially those uh, who have passed recently. <clears throat> A firm key belief in Wicca is that everyone is responsible for their own actions. Personal responsibility is a key component of Wicca, whether magical or mundane. One must be willing to accept the consequences, either good or bad, of their behavior. Harm no one, or something along those lines, is a key facet of, uh, is a key concept in Wicca. 
There are different interpretations of what actually constitutes harm, but most Wiccans follow the concept that no harm should intentionally be done to another individual. The respect of the respect the beliefs of others is another key principle and concept in Wicca. The idea that white we uh, should respect others based on their you know respect their various beliefs. We don't have to agree, but we can respect you. There is no recruiting club in Wicca. Wiccans are not out to preach at you, convert you, or philatize towards you. Wiccan groups recognize that each individual must find their spiritual path on their own without coercion. While a Wiccan may honor different gods than you do, they will always respect your right to believe differently. And, of course, there are exceptions to every rule, uh, but within Wicca is this key uh, core set of concepts that, we don't, that you don't do harm to others, you accept, a con- you accept personal responsibility for your actions, and you respect other people's beliefs and space. Now, I want to get into some of the source material that you can find if you're interested in looking a little bit more at, at this fascinating, fascinating religion. I think, we're making some, I think we're making some progress together, guys. I think we're doing really well together here. So there are a number of books that you can find on Wicca, and there is a large number of written sources for Wiccans. Uh, you might be interested in some of these. Now, keep in mind, I'm not advocating that you go out and start casting spells and, and performing rituals and, and uh, bathing yourself in pig's blood or anything. I think we've moved past that together here. Uh, first, I would suggest you might look at Drawing Down the Moon by Margaret Adler. Uh, something something to take a look at. You might also enjoy Wicca for, for Beginners by Theo Sabin, uh, or Aradia, or The Gospel of the Witches by Charles Godwin, or by Charles Godfrey, I'm sorry. Yeah. Charles Godfrey Leland. Quite a bit. Like I said, there is quite a bit written. Uh, you can take a look at Witchcraft, A Handbook of Magic, Spells, and Potions, by Anastasia Grayleaf. Uh, this is sort of an introductory text towards uh, the practice of witchcraft. Uh, it gives you a better idea of how uh, how pagans, uh, particularly Wiccans, Wiccans uh, view magic. Uh, so it gives you a good idea of the way that they interpret magic, what it means to them. Uh, you might take a look at The Triumph of the Moon by Ronald Hutton. Uh, Solitary Witch by Silver Ravenwolf. The Meaning of Witchcraft by Gerald Gardner. And finally, Earth, Air, Fire, and Water by Scott Cunningham. All of these sources are a good introductory step toward Wicca. It gives you a great idea of some of the key core concepts that we've talked about today. I hope this has been enlightening for all of you. I hope you've, you've got a better understanding of what Wicca is and what separates it from other religious ideologies. Hopefully you've got a better understanding of it, and you might not look down on it or look at it with such a you know, sense of trepidation or fear, because I think 
what we've learned here together is that there's really nothing to be afraid of in regards to Wicca. Um, Wiccans are a very uh, – but, but based on what we've learned today, I think we can establish that for the most part, uh, they're, they're a pretty good bunch, right? They're, they're, there's some good eggs out there. Uh, so that's all I've got for you guys today. I, you know, I don't see anybody calling in to ask questions. So, you know, I kind of kind of thought we might have some people uh, having some negative reactions towards this. I'm actually kind of surprised, pleasantly surprised that I didn't have anybody call in enraged that I was talking about witches and witchcraft and spooky things. Uh, you know, not not too long ago, uh, I just talked about exorcisms and I got somebody calling in getting a little upset. Uh, very surprising, but a pleasant surprise it is. So take a look at those sources, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Bareback Facts. You guys can catch me here from 5 p.m. Eastern time to to 8 p.m. Eastern time, although we're not going to make it to 8 p.m. today. We, we did pretty good together. We made it. We made We covered a lot of information in a very short period of time. So that's all I've got for you guys today. Remember, in the future, our call-in number is 718-508-9883. Thanks for tuning in to the Bareback Facts, and thanks for sticking with Totally Driven Entertainment Radio. This is Big D signing off. We'll see you guys next week when I have a special guest coming on the show, Young Scholar, working in the Ukraine right now. I'm going to be bringing him on. He's going to tell us a little bit about his experiences abroad what it, uh, and his research and his work Right now should be a good time. His name's Thomas Barefoot. Those of you who've been listening in, I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Uh, I hope you guys don't get too shy. Feel free to call in. He's a fascinating young man. You'll really enjoy what he has to say. I'm very much looking forward to it. That's all I've got for you guys. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Bareback Facts. <laughs>